Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. Hi, I'm David Gustina here with an old friend of the program. He is the state controller, Tom DiNapoli, a Democrat. Welcome back, Tom. David, it is always great to be back. I consider myself a friend of long standing is the more appropriate way to describe me. Well, we've talked about this before, <laughs> Tom, but the, the fact is, what does that mean, really? What that means is you're willing to speak to the listenership. You see it. I believe you do. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would guess you kind of see it as your obligation on some level to talk yes. to the people of New York State. Yes. Well, we need to talk about a really serious issue to start. I don't think we should avoid it in any way. We all know what's happening in Israel, between Israel and Gaza, specifically Israel and Hamas. It is an untenable situation. Uh, Obviously, the Hamas attack, a shock to the world. We know, of course, that New York has a unique relationship with Israel. Beyond Israel, New York has the highest Jewish population. A large part of that is in Brooklyn. And believe it or not, the ripple effect even affects you as the controller. And I see that the pension fund has purchased $20 million in state of Israel bonds. We've had a close tie financially with Israel in New York, of course, but tell us what you've done here. We have a long history being the state that is the number one purchaser of Israel bonds. So no surprise that with everything going on there and we had the opportunity to invest even more, we were ready, willing and able to do it. And I should point out, David, that those are investments with pension fund money. And we do it not just because of that bond that you very appropriately described between New York and Israel, but we get a good return and a safe return. And that's why we've had a long history of investing in Israel. Beyond Israel bonds, we also have have other investments in Israel, uh, private equity investments, investments in Israeli companies. Now, our investment exposure in Israel is about $1.5 billion. And again, done because we get a good return for the pension fund. But certainly the situation that you you know, painfully described is horrendous to anybody of good spirit, the kind of brutality the murders inflicted by the terrorists, there's just no excuse for it. There's no explanation for it. And as you point out, it was Hamas terrorists. It's very important for us to distinguish between you know, the Palestinian people and the terrorists. And sometimes in the heat of everything, we sometimes conflate all of that. This is about Israel having to defend itself right now against the Hamas terrorists and making sure that what happened will not happen again. So I think anybody with, with half a heart has to feel for those who lost loved ones, I'm very concerned, as we all are, about the hostages. Many of them are Americans as well. And I'm very proud of how President Biden has stood very forcefully and very clearly in support of Israel's right to defend itself. You know, our governor also has spoken out very clearly on this. So, you know, I know in the streets there's different opinions, but count me on the side that says Israel has a right to defend itself. No excuse for what happened. And that strong bond that you described will uh, always be there between New York and Israel. 
again, with the reminder that no one wants to see innocent people, civilians, right. children without food or water, homes wrecked, people killed. And again, if you're a human being, I don't think you want to see any of that. My only other question would be, Tom, if there is a ground invasion into Gaza and, you know, we see the bombings that are going on, obviously that's a huge economic impact, right? And then the question would be, who pays for it after it's destroyed? Well, you know, that is such an important question that I, I don't know that anybody's really focused on what, you know, what, how, do you, how do you do the rebuilding afterwards? And, and the ripple effect, I mean, it's not just the economic disruption that may happen, you know, between the Israeli economy and to the extent that there is an economy in, in, in Gaza. Uh, but what about the ripple effect? We see other countries now starting to line up, have issues, right. uh, demonstrations, oil, obviously, in terms of the Middle East is a big uh, concern. Uh, what happens with Iran? They've been doing a lot of saber rattling, uh, you know, the potential for this to involve not just Israel and Hamas, but a much broader uh, conflict, including, you know, possibly an armed conflict, is uh, terrifying. I mean, I, and I'm so glad you said, uh, appropriately so, it's always the innocents, right? The, 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 the civilians that get caught up in this, that uh, uh, we, we have to feel for them on, on all sides. But, but the potential for it really exploding in terms of an economic impact on us here in this country and globally at a time where we know the global economy has, has been, you know, slowly coming out of the COVID uh, experience, it, you know, the timing uh, is not good at, at any level. So let's hope that you know, whatever is going on behind the scenes, and we don't know, uh, there are discussions, there are negotiations. There's, first of all, a serious attempt to bring back all the hostages, uh, reunite them with their families, and then to figure out how uh, the, you know, the with Israel having to do what it's got to do, but that, you know, this not be a drawn out, broader war situation. And then what do you do with Gaza? I mean, that's it's really been an issue long delayed to deal with. But after, you, you know, after you see already, you know, what's happened so far on the bombings is what is the plan? Is there a plan? Who do you talk to? Uh, I guess, David, uh, you know, the issues we deal with at the state level seem challenging enough. Uh, I don't envy those at the federal and international level that are trying to deal with these issues. But the loss of life is the, the brutality. It just, it's the year 2023. It's yeah. like we're living in medieval times or even before medieval times. The level of inhumanity is just shocking, just shocking. Yeah, and in an era, 2023, when these things are easily seen through social media and the proliferation of technology that allows yeah. us to see the most horrific acts imaginable. Yeah, and even the, the things that perhaps aren't done with any purpose, you know, the the headlines of the hospital, right, in Gaza, yeah. and both sides <laughs> blaming the other. But hundreds of people were killed. Let's not lose sight of that. So it's what you said before. It's the innocent lives that get impacted, and our hearts break for everybody that loses loved ones in such a horrendous situation. No question. We're speaking with the State Comptroller of New York, Tom DiNapoli. I know we got a little afield, but it speaks to the issue of our day, and it does directly impact New York State. Yeah. Now let's talk about another thing that impacts New York State, unlike a lot of other states, which is Wall Street and yeah. the profits that we get there. I know there's another report out. What are we, $13 billion down? What does that mean? What it means in the short run is that, you know, in the years 
2020, 2021, when we really saw outsized profits from Wall Street that were really, you know, returning to pre-pandemic levels of profitability. So for the first half of the year, you know, I should point out, profits were down 4.3%. The profits were at $13 billion, but down from the same period last year. And we saw last year, 2022, down from 2021. But the important news is that Wall Street is still making money. At this point, they've actually been adding jobs. We hope that that will continue as you head towards the end of the year. Sometimes some of the firms will downsize as a way to keep you know their profits up. But this is why we always point out the importance of the securities industry to us. The tax revenue that comes from the profits and from the bonuses and the income that people make in these high-paying jobs on Wall Street, it accounts for about 27% of the tax revenue that comes to New York State that then pays for you know all the other programs we care about, education, healthcare, all the important services. So you know I always say, however you feel about Wall Street, love it or hate it, it's a very important part of the revenue picture for New York City, even more so for New York State because of our heavy reliance on the personal income tax. So we want Wall Street to be profitable at a sustainable level. We want New York to continue to be the global capital of finance. So yeah, although the numbers are down compared to last year, certainly down compared to you know the highs of 2020 and 2021, we're really back at a level of profitability that we saw pre-pandemic. So if I could use the phrase normalizing, I would say the profit levels are normalizing. But again, given this economy and we see the volatility in the stock market, could it go in a more negative direction? Possibly. That's why we have to continue to monitor it very, very carefully. And it certainly will have an impact as we head into next year's budget negotiations, which is, as you know, we've been pointing out on past discussions with you, David, it's going to be a tougher budget cycle next year. And part of it is, you know, the Wall Street tax revenue not being as strong as it's been in more recent years. Yeah, but we're hearing about the Medicaid part of it. We're hearing about, what was it, 10 billion? billion in the next coming year or so. And, you know, your Republican colleagues on the other side are citing you for sharing this economic news as the reason for their criticism of the Democrats. You know, you're not doing a good job. Look at what the controller's saying. Yeah. Well, look, you know, we have to call the numbers as we see them. You're right. It's over $9 billion gap for next year. grows to closer to $14 billion after that. You know, we also put out our monthly, what we call our cash report, how much revenue is coming in, what kind of spending is going on. You know, in our most recent report, we are actually a ahead of the projections as to where we thought we would be at this point in the budget cycle. However, and this is the big caveat, revenue is down about 13% compared to last year. And the projections that we have were updated over the summer. They are much lower than the projections upon which the budget was put together, you know, the end of April, the beginning of May. So it's true, we're ahead of where we thought we would be, but those are much lower projections. There's no question the revenue is down compared to last year. And that's what is accounting for the out-year gaps. You know, we, we went through a period because of economic recovery, because of all the money that came from Washington. Let's not forget that. Uh, we we were in good shape. We actually were projecting balanced budgets for the foreseeable future. And, and you know, the legislature in this year's budget, before the numbers went down, made some big spending commitments in appropriate areas, you know, school aid and more money for mental health and child care, all, all important services. But we have a different reality now. You know, so as we look to next year and before you know it, Actually, in November, we start to put out estimates, uh, you know, for next year's budget. And, of course, the governor will put her budget out, you know, the end of January, beginning of February. It's going to be a different budget picture. And I do hope legislators, both sides of the aisle, will understand, and I think the governor understands this, we're going to have to be much more careful about 
what our priorities are going to be. And from my perspective, David, you know what we do. You follow it. You report on it. The audits that we do. You mentioned Medicaid. Yeah. We've, we always find opportunities for savings and cost efficiency that never get implemented. There are ways also to spend money more wisely. It's not just a question of adding or, you know, or cutting services. Uh, you know, let's be smarter about how we're spending money. Uh, our, our resources are not unlimited. Those tax dollars come from hardworking New Yorkers' pockets, so we need to be mindful of that. But it's, I think it's going to be a much more challenging budget climate. And again, d- depending on the global situation and, and our own, look, you know, we talked about the world situation, but look what's happening in Washington. We have our own dysfunction in our own country. How, how do we not have a government organized in the House of Representatives when we have all of these these big issues looming out there? I mean, that's, that's going to hurt. What if there's a government shutdown? And, and given some of the folks that potentially would be the speaker. I'm concerned about that. That would really set us all backward and have certainly have a direct impact on New York state revenues and, and New Yorkers. Well, and when you see these revenue numbers and you see the coming trouble on the horizon, would that mean then you're going to sit down with the governor before she releases her budget? I'm sure she sees your reports. I know you have your staffs that communicate with each other, but do you ever get a chance to talk one-on-one with her and talk about the budget and some of these cost-saving moves or anything like that? Yeah, actually, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we did have a phone conversation and we did talk about it. And I know she's concerned. And I said, look, we're trying to, you know, sound the warning. So we'll keep doing that. In November as part of the quick start process. We will put out our projections on spending and revenue, as will the legislature and the governor. And our teams will meet to start that process early. So, you know, the challenge always is, right, the governor has the role to play in putting out the budget. We have the role to play in monitoring. So, so, you know, our independence is important for us to keep that. So we're, you know, we're, we're set up not to be, you know, other than putting out the early estimates and quick start, we're, we're not to be part of the budget process so that we can have the independence to evaluate what's what's done in the end. But we, you know, I, I think I think the governor's concerns or my concerns that it's going to be a changed uh, revenue picture as we head into next year. Oh, and by the way, David, the, there are elections next year, which always yeah. tends to make it a little more interesting and challenging when, uh, when people undergo negotiating spending priorities. I'm guessing they might go over projections and uh, some promises might be made that you got to be a little bit, uh, as the controller, go... And that's what, that's, what, that's what we've got to point out. You have to be realistic on on what's appropriate spending. Uh, We... You know, and sometimes the the reaction is, well, let's raise taxes more. Well, we're already a very high tax state. Let's keep that in mind. And then sometimes the answer is, well, we don't want to cut programs. We don't want to raise taxes. Let's borrow some more money to cover it. And you know what? We're one of the most indebted states in the nation, uh, and that is a problem. The, The silver lining on all this, credit to the governor and the legislature on this front, they built up the rainy day reserve. Fund. I was just it, about to ask you, you about yeah, that. Yeah, I read your mind. And, you know, are we quite where we need to be? No, we're still behind other states when you look at percentage-wise. But we're we're in a much stronger position than we've been in, you know, for a number of years. So certainly if in the short run as we close out this budget uh, cycle that, that ends on March 31st, we do have money to cover in a shortfall. So, you know, people ask me, will we see cuts in the, you know, during this budget year? No, I don't think so. Uh, but the challenge is going to be, the choices for next year and 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 let's not squander that surplus because again so much uncertainty as to where we're headed uh if anything i would say build up those reserves even more 
Right. And let's speak to that uncertainty for a moment, because we did talk about this the last time you were on. And this is a major issue affecting many states, specifically New York, and that's the influx of migrants or asylum seekers. And you had done a report a ways back on that economic impact. And I'm guessing this all plays into that mix as well. It's a very good point. I mean, obviously, a lot of the focus is on New York City, uh, but it is a statewide impact. You know, the governor's budget has, I think it's about one and a half billion dollars set aside in this year's budget. Uh, But obviously, the state has been making commitments uh, beyond that. And the real question is, you know, long term, how much money will the state have to put forward for state expenses? How much will the state uh, be able to provide to New York City and other municipalities across the state uh, that are trying to manage the situation. The big question mark still is, will Washington come forward in a substantive way with uh, with budget relief, with money? And, and so far, that's been very limited, unfortunately, uh, certainly for the city of New York, where there's the greatest impact. Uh, it really is throwing their, their long-term budget projections, uh, in, you know, in a very negative and concerning way, but that, that is going to be an impact at the state level as well. So I know, you know, I know the governor and the mayor, uh, Mayor Adams, have both been continuing to press uh, the federal government in this regard. Let's see if they if they come up with some more. Again, it gets back to the dysfunction in Washington hurting us, you know, very directly and, and the international situation distracting us from some of this. And by the way, when you see more international dislocation, what does that mean, David? It means more people are going to be looking to come into the United States. So that compounds the problem even more. Uh, we need a rational uh, immigration policy. We need immigration reform. We haven't seen that for years. Uh, we obviously need effect, more effective management at the border. But uh, we also need to have the federal government recognize this breakdown is a federal breakdown. And they need to uh, do something to help the states and localities and not leave us on the hook uh, for paying for the price of uh, paying the price of taking care of the asylum seekers and the migrants. You're speaking with State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli. Well, Tom, we could make a bet on that as to whether Washington will come through or not. But that was a little teaser for the next topic. Mobile sports <laughs> betting. Place your bets. Your wonderful press person, Jennifer Freeman, who I speak to regularly in your office, send one word next to mobile sports betting on the press release that I saw. Wow. (laughs) Well, it is wow because uh, this is one area of gaming where actually, as opposed to other proposals that have been implemented where the money's come in higher than projected. Uh, So that's a positive in terms of revenue, but the negative is still the obvious that – We've seen in more recent times actually a significant increase in the calls uh, coming in related to problem uh, gaming, actually a 26% increase. So the more we provide options for gaming, the more individuals and by extension families fall into that trap of uh, addiction. And we, you know, as we've said in our reports, New York needs to increase the resources to help those that fall into that. The other issue, though, David, is that uh, you know, the mobile sports betting is also having an impact on, for example, the casino revenue. So to a certain extent, you know, we're, we're, we're just moving, you know, those that, that you know, like to participate in, in, in various kinds of gaming and chance. They just kind of move from one activity to another. So, you know, yeah, it's still, you know, a, a revenue source for the state and the mobile sports betting coming in higher than projected, you know, positive from a revenue perspective. But 
I think you know, you've I've been said, pretty clear I, I, over the years, Tom, that you, you're not so high on some of these revenue no, raisers, well, but at the it, same it, time it, acknowledging it, that, you know, when other states had it, you know, yep. people no, were crossing right. borders. And we, we all kind of knew that when you have more and more, it dilutes the revenue, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's exactly the point. And my view has always been we should not fund government out of gaming. We have a broader responsibility. So if it helps a little bit on the revenue side, fine. And you're right. It's out there. We can't, you know, have our head in the sand and say, you know, New York is going to, you know, not do anything while everybody else is. But we need to really understand the negative consequences in terms of impact on some folks that can't help themselves. And so we need to do more to, to, you know, ensure that families don't fall into bankruptcy, you know, or all the other problems that come with any kind of addiction, including gambling addiction. No question. Question, and I think there's probably going to be some studies that'll come out in the future where this new kind of gambling, which you do over your phone on a sports yeah. app, where you don't have to actually get up out of your chair, go out to a vehicle, drive to a casino, we could see a lot more people with problems if it's all tied through their phone and their checking account. Makes it easy. You know, the initial projections, when you're looking back to 2022, were for about $99 million to come in as, as far as, uh, you know, uh, uh, revenue that be generated. It's coming over, you know, $360 million. I mean, it's, it's far more than the initial projection. So people are into it, whether that's a temporary fad, waiting for the next new opportunity to come along or not. But I think the convenience of it, I think you're absolutely right. Well, we, it's probably, probably here to stay. More than any other society, a capitalist society, people uh, often think, well, maybe I could get rich quick. Well, and you know what? I think everybody's also still been in, you know, between COVID and everything else going on in somewhat of a funk and looking for something that might be a little distracting and entertaining. So, sure. I mean, ultimately, this activity, you know, is, is as much about, you know, entertainment as it is about uh, hoping to become a millionaire. But, um, yeah, I just, I just think... You know, we live in a time where people look for easy distractions, and I, frankly, I don't blame anybody for that. You know, why, why not want why not want to be distracted, perhaps with a dream that you you, you know you'll get lucky, but uh, but most of us will not. So <laughs> everybody should keep that in mind. Yeah, the, the odds <laughs> but, are stacked but, against but, us. But if they do, they should make sure that they participate in WAMC's fund drive. I mean, absolutely. Uh -huh. Now there's a lottery you can win. <laughs> WAMC.org. Thanks for that, Tom. Well, couple more questions. We are really yeah. moving fast now, but. I want to get okay. these last two in. This one I know listeners, especially from public broadcasting, are interested in, and that's climate change and how your yeah. office, you know, when you invest in things, have you been continuing to divest, for example, in fossil fuel companies? Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing process. Uh, you know, as we've talked about in the past, we have a climate action plan because we do think it's very important, not only for the planet, right, and for the human race, but for our pension fund uh, as well. It's a, it, it's a risk, and we, we always are, are seeking to reduce risk. So it's a combination of continue, continue to engage with companies. We want to make sure the companies we're invested in understand the importance of achieving the goals of the Paris Agreement. We are continuing to evaluate uh, companies, you know, starting with the energy sector, and we have restricted or divested investments in about 55 companies at this point. Uh, we are still in the process of reviewing uh, integrated oil and gas companies. We'll have an update on that, you know, hopefully pretty soon. And on the 
on the seizing opportunities. You know, we have our $20 billion uh, sustainable and climate solution investment uh, allocation because we want to be part of the emerging low-carbon economy, invest in companies that are doing renewables and clean energy, solar, wind, uh, hydro, and so on in the U.S. and globally, and, and having the money there to help to encourage that transition as well and, and make money for the fund. So, so we are still pursuing our climate action plan. Uh, it's a combination of investment, in some cases divestment, engaging uh, with companies and, and seizing uh, opportunities in a positive way to be part of that transition. Well, among the many threats to the financial system that are out there, including just general confidence or non-confidence, we have something called cyber attacks. And we see these hit all sorts of institutions. And that's one thing you really got to keep your eyes on when the financial institutions in New York, right? No question about it. I mean, we, we put out our, you know, our recent report to really show uh, what a threat the cyber activity is to businesses, to individuals. Obviously, we're very concerned from a government perspective, and we have really stepped up our, on the audit side, our, our audits of, uh, of IT and cybersecurity of our local governments. We, you've seen a number of, of hacking incidents in, in local governments across the state. The largest one is down in Long Island, Suffolk County, uh, and they had a ransomware attack, and they're still uh, trying to get back on track. They, they don't have all their systems back up. So, so there, there is a big financial hit. There's, you know, the problem of, of you know, the loss of, of, of personal uh, data that could then, you know, impact on, on, on families and people. So, you know, you, we all need to be mindful. We all need to step up vigilance in this area. Uh, you know, so our report kind of documents what's been happening in our own state, but really, uh, you know, our priority now is working with our local governments to make sure they're doing all they can to prevent any successful hacking of their IT systems. Tom, here's a question out of the blue. I don't know, but it just dawned on me, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, and you do a lot of these audits. We talk about them a lot. Are you looking at how AI can be employed in anything to do with looking at financial situations? I mean, the whole AI topic is certainly an emerging one. A piece of it is, you know, data analytics, and that certainly is something we have been increasing our use of as far as, you know, risk assessment. But I think that so much rapid changes in terms of the potential for artificial yeah. intelligence, not just in auditing, but we're looking at it in terms of other kinds of government operations. That being said, you know, there are potential pitfalls and dangers there. So, I, you know, I think we have to tread carefully, but you can't avoid that discussion. You know, we did actually review of New York City's AI governance because in some ways they've been ahead of other, you know, municipalities. But it's a challenging new area, a lot of lessons still to be learned, and the technology is probably evolving faster than our understanding of it. So, yeah, I think we all need to be focused on it and seeing what we could do to utilize it in a positive way, but also recognize there's many pitfalls and dangers attached to it as well. State Controller Tom DiNapoli, let's end with a distraction for the listeners. Let's talk unclaimed funds, the other New York lottery. (laughs) I'm always convinced, you know, when you send out those notices, you may have unclaimed funds. I rushed there to check. But somebody out there could have some funds that they're entitled to. Well, you know, we are returning about $1.5 million a day in unclaimed funds. It's lost money. Could be an old bank account or, you know, a check that you were supposed to get from a health insurance company that never got cashed. So we have over, believe it or not, $18 billion worth of accounts and unclaimed funds. And we want people to go to our website 
site, osc.state.ny.us. Click on Unclaimed Funds. You can search right online, apply online, or call our 800 number during regular business hours during the week, 1-800-221-9311. Put your name in, any business you're associated with or nonprofit, even parents, grandparents who may have passed away. If there are accounts in their names, you will be able to apply for it if you're the rightful heir. So, David, I'm glad you raised that. We want to return even more than that million and a half dollars a day. So if your listeners remember nothing else, go to the search engine rather for our website, put in New York State Controller, click on Unclaimed Funds, and hopefully you'll get some money out of it. State Controller Tom DiNapoli, always a great guest, keeps us informed on what's going on financially in New York State. Tom, thank you for continuing to talk with us and all New Yorkers on the Capital Connection. David, I look forward to doing it again soon with you. Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative. 